Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys uh, uh, just to be together uh, as we navigate through our journeys today, as we head toward Christmas. I uh, pray that we would honor and glorify you and what we read and what we talk about and what we say today. And um, God, as we look at the genealogy of Jesus, let it encourage us uh, in a way uh, that we would uh, not only understand who we are, but still, regardless of who we are, are how you can still use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. How many of you have ever done a, a good genealogical study? Anybody ever done a good genealogical? Okay, one of them. I, I, I know uh, uh, one online, two online now. Shane, you've done one? Uh, man, man I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little afraid. Shane, when you did yours, if you shake your family tree to a bunch of nuts fall out, what's go, what happens over there? Okay. All right. There you go. So he did do a little study and uh, you're Amish is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I like that. You know, I remember years ago, um, I, I, we didn't ever know because we don't talk about it. Uh, our, our family, the name Caton, everybody calls me Canton, but we're not Canton. Uh, Canton is the big garage sale in East Texas. Y'all familiar with that? Uh, I'm Caton and I had always heard we were English. Then I tracked the word Caton, and it's actually a French name. And there was actually a French battleship named Battleship Catan. And uh, so you begin to think that's pretty cool. And then you begin to read the history of the French battleship named Catan. Uh, it was sunk in the first battle it was ever in. And so all of the, apparently, uh, if, I, if you go back to France, I'm like the 997th in line to be the king of France. Do they even have a king anymore? So it's really, I, I, think, I, I don't think I'm going to get the gig. But uh, what else do we find when we uh, think about uh, uh, family trees? I, uh, you know, I, I did hear, I read a joke one time where someone says, no, if you have a family coat of arms and it ties in the back, that's not normal. Uh, so uh, we never really know. But what's interesting is if you look in Matthew chapter 1, and Matthew does a good job of listing the genealogy of Jesus. If you were to think of a typical or a usual uh, genealogical record for one who was to be the Messiah, uh, the Savior of the world, there are some people in this genealogical record that you would not have put in there. I will promise you, you and I, had we put down and written down our genealogical record, we would have left some of these people out. We would have uh, not mentioned them. However, I love what we see when we look in Matthew chapter 1 and we look at the genealogy of Jesus, that we see this, that we see the opportunity uh, that God reminds us through the genealogy. That it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your bloodline looks like. God's grace can overcome all of those things. And those are a great encouragement to us. And so as we think about Matthew chapter 1, pick it up reading in verse 1. Look at this genealogy. And I want you to know, this is not glamorous to preach. We will come across some people in here that are they're not even Jewish. Uh, we will come across people here. They're prostitutes. They're Moabites. 
And typically, you would want to scrub the genealogical record if you were making something up. I think one of the interesting parts uh, of God's Word and looking through God's Word is at no point from Genesis to Revelation is everything whitewashed or all the bad things taken out. As a matter of fact, you go to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 3, you're already seeing the bad show up. Then if you look in everybody's life, save Joseph, almost everybody has committed a sin or made a mistake. Now, what do you have with Joseph? He's got a bad family. How many of you know? You know, typically if your family, if your brothers sell you into slavery early on, how many of you realize you don't have good brothers? Right? But if you look at God's Word from beginning to end, you see people that are a lot like us. You see men that are a lot like us. But you see a God who still uses men like us from families like ours. There are a lot of times that I will uh, meet with people and I'll talk with people, sometimes right there in that office, um, and they'll say, you know, I just wish I would have grown up in a better, better family. And I'll look at them and say, don't we all? I don't know about you, I would love to be born again to a really, really rich family. How many of you would love to be born into a really I would give it a go. I don't know about you. Anybody in here give it a go if you were born to a billionaire? I mean, do you imagine everybody would say I'm a spoiled rich kid? Well, let me give me a shot at it, right? I would take that, right? Uh, give me a go. Now, I don't mind the family I grew up in, but a lot of times if we look back on our families, we are either sh the shining light in the family or we're one of the nuts that when they shake the family tree, we fall out, right? Or we're going to be the one that someday, when we walk through the family cemetery, our tombstone's going to be the only one turned upside down. They just kind of want to ignore that that ever happened, right? But when we look in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, let's look at the genealogy. Notice what it says. This is a record, depending on what translation you have. And notice, he's putting the NIV up there. I wanted to use the NASB today because the NIV does a great job of... Uh, uh, does a great job of uh, just smoothing things out. So they did drop out some words, but if you look here, it says, this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus. This is verse 1. Christ, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, that word record, if you look, that's the word biblon. NIV just kind of drops that, drops that word out there. It's the Greek word that we get our word book from. This is the book or the genealogy of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, when we go into the, uh, the son of David and of Abraham, now when we go into a genealogy, let me tell you a couple of things that we can, be, we can glean from a genealogy. First of all, uh, that you and I don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You might want to write that down. The genealogy of Jesus reminds us first and foremost that you and I do not have to be perfect to be used by God. That also means you and I don't have to be perfect up to this point to have a lasting spiritual godly impact on your family tree from this point on. From this point on. As you look at... Uh, this genealogy, uh, you've got some folks in here that, man, they are the claim to fame. You think about David. He mentions it right there in verse, uh, verse 1, Christ the son of David. But you also have those who are in this list listed. It's not a claim to fame, it's a claim to shame. 
that the one, two, one or two things that we know them about, know about them, is not good. So the first thing, when we look at a genealogy, it reminds every one of us in here that we can be used by God. The second thing that looking at the genealogy of Jesus reminds us is that God's grace is greater than all of our past. God's grace today is greater than all of our past. I love what one writer said, just a commentator. He says, a careful look at the descendants of both Abraham and David. Remember, those are the two people that are mentioned in verse, uh, verse 1. That this is a genealogical, a record of the genealogy of Jesus from David and Abraham. Those are the two that are brought up. Now, if you think about it, a careful look at the descendants of both Abraham and David reveals people who were often characterized by, listen to this, unfaithfulness, immorality, idolatry, and apostasy. But God's dealing with them was always characterized by grace. So it's interesting, in verse 1, the two significant people that are mentioned, Abraham, right? The one who is called and said, I'm going to bless the world through you. And David, who is considered the, 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 the king who was the man after God's own heart. And then if you look at all of their descendants, this commentator reveals that those descendants, even those that are mentioned here, are more characterized sometimes in Scripture by unfaithfulness, immorality, idolatry, and apostasy, but God consistently deals with grace to them or gives them grace. Here's a third thing we can learn. is that not only can God use us, does God deal graciously with us, but that Jesus is the Messiah for all people. That when we look at the genealogy, and we don't just see Jewish people in the genealogy of Jesus, it reminds us that Jesus is the Messiah for all people. In this list, we see Gentiles, we see men, we see women, we see people who are more faithful and more people that are unfaithful. We, we see people that were caught in idolatry from time to time and immorality from time to time. But God still uses them. So here's kind of the question. Why would Matthew include all of these people in the genealogy of Jesus? The question is, why would, we, why would he do it? I think the reason why they're all in here is to show us that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah to all people. And that should bring us great encouragement and great comfort. I love what Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, talking about Jesus being the Messiah for all people. We won't go there, but Paul said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If, the if, you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, notice the big if there. Say, God can use me. I can be uh, dealt with by God by grace if we have faith in Jesus Christ. If you and I have faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what our genealogy is about. It doesn't matter what our past looks like. God's going to deal graciously with us and can still use us. So as we think about this genealogy, I'm just going to jump around. I want to give you five guys. All right, five guys that will teach us lessons. Some of these guys you're very familiar with. Some of these guys you just have a passing understanding. But here are five guys that give us lessons for life that you and I need to live. Guy number one, 
very much we know who he is. Uh, the, the, the lesson for Abraham. What's the lesson for Abraham? Trust God in everything, regardless of how long it takes. I'm going to say that again. Abraham, trust God in everything, regardless of how long it takes. How many of you would say that you have faith in God? You have faith in God. It's okay. This is not bragging, right? Uh, how many of you could wait a decade for God to come through? Or two decades for God to come through without, without taking matters into your own hands? Y'all remember the story, right? You had Abram who was called by God. He goes, I'm going to take you to a new land. I'm going to take you to a new place. Uh, you and your wife, Sarah, you're going to have a seed. You're going to have an offspring. And, and you're going to be a great people. And they're high-fiving each other and they're beginning to journey to the new land. And then all of a sudden a year goes by and another year goes by and a five years goes by and a decade goes by and another decade goes by. And then what happens? They say, well, you know, God promised to bless us with an offspring. We don't have an offspring. What do we as dudes typically do? Let's help God out. How many of you understand, right? So Sarah and them have a maidservant named Hagar. And they say, you know, God promised us an offspring. We don't have an offspring, but you've got Hagar. So Abraham and Sarah come up with this deal. Why don't you go in, sleep with Hagar, and have a child? Well, sure enough, that's exactly what happens, right? Is they go in, he sleeps with Hagar, she has a child. What's the child's name? Somebody tell me. Ishmael. So God's made them a promise, and then all of a sudden the time goes on. That's why the key to Abraham is trust God in everything, even if it takes a long time. Guys, if some of you have been waiting for God, waiting for God, and waiting for God to do something in your life, or do something in your family, or do something in your kid's life, whatever you do, don't ever stop trusting God. Because that's exactly what Abraham did. Abraham stopped trusting God and started taking matters into his own hands. Now, here's the problem. After that sin, then guess what happens? Sarah begins to look uh, at Ishmael, and they end up having Isaac. And you have Ishmael and Isaac, and then you have uh, Hagar and Sarah, who don't really like each other that much. And all of a sudden, one sin leads to another sin, which leads to another sin, right? So guys, when we think about Abraham, we want to make sure that this lesson holds true for us, is that we are going to trust God in everything, regardless of how long it takes. Don't ever take matters into your own hands. Here's the second person I want to point out. He's a guy named Joshua. And here's the lesson for us is we need to accept people where they are today. Accept people where they are today. You say, where do you see Joshua? Uh, well, you really don't see Joshua. You see a person named Rahab. Drop down to verse 4, Justin. It says, Ram, the father of that guy, and that guy's the father of that guy, and that person's the father of that person. Then you get to uh, 5, and it says, uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now let me ask you a question. What do you know about Rahab? Yeah, she was a prostitute, right? But here you have, you have Matthew putting her in here to remind us of 
her present when she was good to the children of Israel and also Joshua's grace in sparing her lives. Joshua didn't go in and ultimately kill her. If you jump down to Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, this is after they've gone in. It says, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her and all of her family and all who belonged to her. Why? Because she hid the men Joshua had sent in and spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites today. So now here's the thought. When you think about Rahab ends up being in the bloodline of Jesus as a prostitute, what did Joshua do for her? He took her where she was today. If you take her biblically and judge her by biblical law, she should have been stoned as a, as a prostitute, right? But instead, Rahab acknowledged to the spies, what did she say? We've all heard about your God. And we want to serve your God. Therefore, she protected and hid the spies along the way. And so when Joshua showed up, he ended up taking her for where she was today, not for who she was in yesterday. And so challenge for us when we think about Abraham is trust God in everything, regardless of how long it takes. But when it comes to Rahab, guys, we need to be the kind of men, regardless of how good and godly we are, that we walk around taking people at face value, spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking. Based on what they do today. Guys, let's don't be the men that are constantly dragging someone's past up and shoving it in their face. Let me say that again. As men of God, let's don't be the kind of people here at Cottonwood Creek that we are constantly finding out something about someone's past and we're dragging it up and shoving it in their face. Because Joshua took Rahab at face value. She looked at those spies and said, listen, we've all heard about your God. We've heard how God has delivered you from Egypt. We've heard how God has delivered and provided for you both food and water uh, and, and direction. He's brought you into the promised land. We've all heard that this is your land. And therefore, she stepped up and protected those spies. And Joshua stepped in and allowed her to live among the Israelites. Man, we need to be people of grace. We need to be men of grace. And if a guy has dropped the ball, we don't constantly need to be dragging up his past and shoving it in his face. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily want to go into business with him right off the bat, right? How many of you understand that? There's also a, a whole book called Proverbs, which is a list of wisdom, a proverb of wisdom. We want to make sure that we still operate with wisdom. But whatever we do, guys, take people at face value. Where they are today, not where they were in yesterday. Now, as we jump forward, let me point out one other guy. Actually, I'm three other guys, but a guy named Boaz. How many of you remember Boaz? All right, here's the lesson in Boaz. We need to take people, take care of people that we can. If God has blessed you with resources and opportunity, boy, you hear Justin always talking about, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give these people toys. We're going to feed these people. We're going to go here and we're going to go there. We need to constantly be about caring for those who we can care for. If you jump down in uh, verse 5, it says, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, what do we know about Ruth? Ruth was a Moabite, remember? 
Her mother-in-law and the family came over. Ruth married into the family. Uh, Ruth's husband died. And mom, the mom, Naomi, wants to go back to the land, right? And so as she is, Naomi's going on her way back. She stops, look at Ruth and, and, and Oprah. And she says, listen, y'all stay here. Y'all stay here. This is your land. There's nothing for you back in my land. Remember Ruth chapter 1, verse 16? But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you and turn back from you. She says, that's what Ruth says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. My God. Where you die, I will die. And where you are buried, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if anything but death, this is Ruth talking to Naomi, separates me from you. Then notice what it says in verse 18. When Naomi, her mother-in-law, realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to go back. So here you have this Moabite. Her family line is anything but godly. Who is following Naomi back to the promised land. And she's got nothing. Now guys, in that society, you had Naomi a widow, accompanied by Ruth a widow. In those days, especially in those days in that agrarian society, if you were a widow walking with another widow, you were completely indigent. You didn't have land in your name. You didn't have anything. And here they were marching back to the people of God and the land of God. And what happens when they get there? They are totally dependent, right? If you look at the Old Testament law, those who were landowners, those who were uh, wealthy landowners, when they were harvesting, part of the law of the harvest is that they would glean the middle of the fields, but they would leave the corners. How many of you remember that? Why? So those that were indigent and hungry could come along and just gather up the scraps. And Boaz did that. And ultimately what happens is Boaz uh, uh, does what guys do. He, he noticed a good-looking woman at the corner of the fields. How many of you understand what I'm talking about, right? We all have eyes. And he says, you know, I don't know who is that. And, and they said, you know, somehow they're related to you. And Naomi says, man, Ruth, you've struck gold. And what happens? At the end of the day, Boaz takes in Ruth as his bride and as his wife. And I love this idea. Notice what it says. If you look back to verse 5, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, who ultimately we see David come from. All because... A man was willing to take care of those he could care for. Now, certainly we love the love story, right? Of the marriage of Boaz and Ruth. But beyond that, the more important thing is God blessed him even with Ruth because he followed the law of God. And the law of God for us is always to be generous to those who are in need. Guys, you and I most... As I look around at Zoom and look in here, none of us are really agrarians. We don't make our living uh, by harvesting fields. That's not where our food comes from. However, the illustration and the challenge and the law in the Old Testament is still the same for us. Guys, you and I need to be about leaving the corners of our resources 
available for God to use for other people. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's the analogy. Guys, don't ever be so selfish that you use everything that God ever gives you for yourself. Always leave room for God to use some of the material blessings, as I talked about even Sunday, the material blessings that God has blessed you with for you to bless those who are in hurting and who are in need. And so here's the next thought. Next guy I want to point out is a guy named David. How many of you remember David? Boy, David, the king, the man after God's own heart. Boy, the children of Israel were so glad to move on from Saul, the crazy king, to David, the king, who is a man after God's own heart. And if you look in verse 5, it says, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Oh, oh. Couldn't Matthew have let that part out? Wouldn't it? Why did, why did Matthew have to go into that detail, right? Wouldn't it have been just good? How many of you, if you were David, how many of you would have been good if this had been written about you? Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon. How many of you would have been good if you just stopped right there? Yeah, we, we all would have. But Matthew's got to throw this in whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And if that weren't bad enough, notice what it says in Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And as you go on down, well, guess what? The kingdom split right there. It's Solomon's kids. But step back. Right there in the genealogy, Matthew mentions that David wasn't perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. Now we're seeing David's not perfect. And even Uriah's wife is mentioned. I remember reading uh, one day, I think I was reading it or I heard it, and it said, men, if you ever think you're above falling in unfaithfulness, you must think you're stronger than Samson, wiser than Solomon, and love God more than David. I'm going to say that again. If you ever think that you are above falling to unfaithfulness, you must think you're stronger than Samson, wiser than Solomon, and love God more than David. Because as you look through this story, I think Matthew puts this in here for a reason. Not to twist the knife on David, but to remind all of us that in a moment, unfaithfulness can happen. Why? Because we have red blood flowing through our veins. And you remember the story. Boy, you had David who was there as the king. The men were off at war and he sees Bathsheba. Instead of being with the men where he should have been or at least told other men, hey, listen, y'all got to keep me off of that roof. He brings Bathsheba over. They end up having a relation. She ends up getting pregnant. Uriah is called back from the front lines. Uriah is more honorable than David. David ultimately puts him to the front and has him killed. And then they have Solomon. But he's right here in the bloodline, not because he's perfect, 
but because he was a man after God's own heart and he was a man who after he sinned ultimately came clean with God. Guys, if there's ever one of those things in your past or in your life that you are trying to bury and hide, let me encourage for you to get with God. In a season of transparency and honesty, don't justify it. But instead, just cast it before God and beg for Him to create in you a clean heart. What does it say in Psalm 51 verse 10? The psalmist, this is what David said, Lord, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Guys, whatever your issue is, whatever your sin is, whatever my sin is, I don't know that it will ever be made public like David's was. I don't know if there will ever be chapters in some book about your sin like there is in David's life. But there is a moment that every one of us, if we fall, if we stumble, if we fail, regardless of how much we love God, remember David was a man after God's own heart. By the time Bathsheba happened, he had already slayed Goliath. He had already been humble enough to allow Saul to remain his king. He had been selected as king for a long time. Saul wanted to abuse him and misuse him. David hid from Saul. David, how many of you remember? David was such a godly guy that he had the opportunity in a cave to kill Saul. Remember the story? Saul went in there and fell asleep and David crawled over, had the opportunity to kill Saul, destroy his enemy, and instead he cut the hem of his garment. How many remember that story? Boy, and can you imagine David's friends? You did what? You know, you, 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 you became a tailor today. And then David felt guilt for that. Isn't that amazing? That David felt guilty about cutting the hem of the garment of the present. Basically, the king in that day. He says, who am I to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed? And this guy still has an affair, has the husband killed, takes her as his wife. That's a shocking thought. That a man who was there could become here. It ought to be a reminder of all of us. Be careful how we walk. Be careful how we walk because if we don't think we are stronger than Samson, wiser than Solomon, love God more than David, then we are all susceptible to fall. So here's what we need to do. Be careful how you live. Here's the last thought. I'll go this guy. Joseph. Not Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph in the New Testament. Imagine... God asking you to do what God asked Joseph to do. Here Joseph was uh, engaged to be married to Mary. Everything was supposed to be perfect, right? And all of a sudden Mary says, um, we got a problem. I'm pregnant. Really wasn't Mary as an angel that mentioned it, but you can imagine, how would you respond? 
says in verse 15, it says, Elud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, um, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ, the anointed one. Remember the story in Matthew chapter 1, just jump down to verse 18, Justin. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, I'm in verse 19 of Matthew 1, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had set it in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit alone. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus Christ, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place uh, to fulfill the Lord, what the Lord had done through the prophet, saying the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did exactly what the angel had commanded him to do and took Mary as his home, to his home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. So, here's the final thought when we look at Joseph. Don't ever say no to God. If God calls you to do something powerful and amazing, don't ever say no to God, even if it causes you to swallow your pride. Can you imagine, although Jesus, Jesus obviously was Emmanuel, God with us, can you imagine the conversation Joseph had with his buddies? Can you imagine the conversation they'd say, uh, Joseph, uh, so Mary's pregnant. Yeah, it's of God. Guys, imagine if someone walked into our room with us right here in our News You Can Use sign and said, I'm marrying a lady and uh, the child that she has is of God. What would we say? Yeah, right. Some of you would immediately have some beachfront property you would sell him in Arizona. But he knew he had heard from God. And so as we think about the Abrahams and the Joshuas and the Boaz and the Josephs and the Davids, the other men, they teach us something. And all of them were listed in the genealogy, not as perfect men, but as flawed men who were simply faithful to be used by God. So guys, as we write and continue to write the genealogy of those who are faithfully following Christ. We are all flawed men. How many of you understand that? But we can still be faithful men to be powerfully used by an awesome and gracious God, regardless of how long it takes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these guys. Thank you for this day. God, we want to invite you to use us. God, every one of us in this room, we are flawed. We are flawed men, but we want to be used by you, God. So let us be faithful to follow you. 
regardless of how long it takes. Let us be faithful, Lord, to care for others and to love others regardless of how much it costs. God, let us be faithful when you tell us to do something, that we do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day.